following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is humbling that we we are able to, to come into your midst, Lord, to to worship you. Lord, how amazing is it that we can speak directly to you right now, Lord, that we can that we can humble ourselves, Lord, and and offer up praises to you. Lord, our prayers would would reach up to the heavens, Lord, that they would penetrate the cloud the light, the unimaginable light that surrounds you right now, Lord, that our prayers would reach up to you, that you would hear us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. Lord, we are overwhelmed by your presence. Lord, let us always be in a constant state of just glory. Lord, that we would just feel your presence with us. Lord, one thing we seek, Lord, this only do we seek, that we should dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, that we would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and meditate in your temple. And Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to be together this morning. And I just thank you for the, for the worship that you put in our mouths. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, may your name be praised. Amen. Thank you. Guys, what about the worship this morning? Amen. So the, um, the, the song that we sang, Overwhelmed, that just really, really penetrates who I am personally. Um, you know, I've, talked, I've spoken to you guys earlier that, that I teach math, and one of the things that really... I like I like about math. One thing I enjoy is that when I teach it, some of the problems I teach take you know a page, a page and a half. And as we're going through these problems, I get so into the problem that when we get done, I don't know what else is happening. Like I don't know what's happened since we started this problem. I don't know what day it is. I could be like I don't know what period I'm in right now, but just overwhelmed by what just happened. Do you guys ever experience that with the Lord? Do you ever get so wrapped up in prayer, so wrapped up in your experience with the Lord that you're just overwhelmed to the point where you're like, I don't even, I don't even care where I am right now. Like, I don't even care. Like, I am with the Lord, and this is all that matters. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen while you're driving, though, because <laughs> that can be dangerous. So it, it kind of leads right in, because, you know, one of the things we're talking about, we're going to be looking at a paralytic um, today who, who's healed, right? And so I started thinking about, you know, all the different types of ways that we think about paralysis. And so have you ever heard of the, the term or the phrase like a deer in headlights? Right? You, you, ever, you ever heard of that? And um, we, we don't have many deer in Florida these days. If you go out into some of the rural areas, you might see some deer. But we do have a whole bunch of squirrels. So have you ever been driving down the road and a squirrel decides he wants to cross the road right in front of you. And not only does he want to cross the road, he starts going one way, and then he turns and goes back the other way, and he sees you coming, and he just freezes. Right? You have a decision to make. 
do you just keep driving and hope that the squirrel gets off the side of the road or do you slow down? Right? So I've, you know, a lot of times I'll slow down, you know, hoping that they make a decision. But sometimes they're, they're so stuck that you have to stop. And, and then it finally realizes that it's got to cross the road. And so it gets caught in between two minds, right? It's like, what, what do I do? Do I go where I want to go or do I worry about the situation that I'm in right now? Like, what, what's more important? And I think that we can find ourselves in some of those situations as well. You know, similar to the deer, right? Where the, the deer, it's not so much caught in between two minds, but it's paralyzed by the light, right? The light somehow goes into its eyes and it's mesmerized by this light. It's almost caught in a temporary paralysis where it, it doesn't really know what's going on at the moment. It doesn't see the car, right? The, this impending collision that's about to happen, um, especially if, the, if you don't have time to get out of the way. So, you know, some of the questions that we ask is, do we, do we slow down to stop, of, to avoid it? Do we, do we swerve and get out of the way? Because you don't always know if there's a car next to you or not, right? And in the moment, you could say, well, yeah, I could swerve and move, but what, what's going on if you're on an icy road? So there's all these decisions that we have to make all the time. And even the driver can sometimes be caught in a temporary paralysis, right? When something like that happens, like, I don't know what to do, right? You just hold on to the wheel and hope that, you know, hope for the best. Now, all of these events and situations I talked about, these are very small in comparison to what it would be like to be permanently paralyzed. So what is a, what is a life, someone who's permanently paralyzed, what, what type of life is this? It's a life marked by total dependence on others for food, water, just these basic necessities, clothing, shelter. But let's think about the person themselves, right? They're, they're conscious. They're conscious in their body, but yet they're not able to move their body. They're not able to control it, whether in, in part or in whole. And not only that, in, in many forms, they're not able to feel What's going on around them? So you could poke, if somebody's paralyzed, you could poke them with a needle, but they can't, they can't feel it. Now, depending on um, the type of paralysis, one could be um, born with this. It could be a congenital disease like cerebral palsy. Or someone could sustain the injury um, through some sort of traumatic event where they hurt their spinal cord, resulting in... Um, you know, the fullest form of paralysis, uh, quadriplegia, or sometimes called tetraplegia. Now, each form of paralysis has its own unique challenges and symptoms, and we've come a long way through science and medicine to, to help people with paralysis live lives more fully, and there are s- treatments and strategies that are used to help manage these symptoms. But even with our current scientific understanding paralysis in many forms cannot be cured and that's one reason why the passage we're going to read this morning is so amazing so we're going to be in 
Luke 5, 17 through 26. And I, I've titled this, this passage, Visible Faith, for, for reasons that we'll see. So please read with me as we read this together. On one of those days, as he, speaking of Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And he saw their faith, I'm sorry, and when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So this is a um, little bit longer passage than what we've dealt with previously. But it's one that I think we all know fairly well. We, we've all, um, if you've been in uh, church for uh, any time at all, you've probably heard this passage read. And so we all have a very good understanding of certain things. And so I'm going to try and pull out some of the, some, some deeper understanding for us and some application. And there's also some areas that I'm going to talk about, which I really, really wanted to, to talk about, but the Lord kind of directed me in, in, in different ways. So as we get going, um, I'm going to be pulling from some of the parallel passages, which are Matthew 9, 1 through 8, and Mark 2, 1 through 12. So in all three of these gospel accounts, the event, this, this particular event occurred in between the healing of the leper which we talked about last week, and the call of Levi or Matthew, which we're going to look at in a couple weeks. Now, the, the Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew records the healing of Peter's mother-in-law and a few other miracles performed by Jesus directly for this account. Um, the, the continuation of miracles, though, that were being performed were adding to Jesus' popularity in this region and as we see, it extended into other parts of the area as well, all the way to Jerusalem. So his ministry is being reported widely, and it was being marked by ever-increasing evidence to his power and authority over creation, marked by the miracles he was performing. So with that in mind, let's dive into... Uh, further examination. So let's look at the, the very first verse. There's a lot in here. So verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jer Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. 
So in the in the Mark passage, Mark 2, 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So this is important that we understand that this is this has, in, in their minds, become Jesus' home. Now, think, think about for you guys, right? Do you consider where you were born, like your hometown? But is that your home? So for me... I was born in Dade City, which is about an hour north of here. That's my hometown, but that's not where I consider my home. I've, I've been in St. Pete for, for quite some time. I've established I have a house, family, so I would consider St. Pete my home. Um, and also in Matthew 9, 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So that the Pharisees and the teachers knew where to find him. They, they knew that he was performing miracles, all this stuff was happening, and so they wanted to f- they wanted to come and see what was going on. So he was performing miracles, like casting out demons. He was healing the sick. He caused this large catch of fish that took two boats to bring in. He cleansed a man from leprosy, and he was also gaining a larger discipleship. So there were many who were beginning to follow him. So because of all this, the Pharisees and teachers came from all over to hear him teach. And the question is why? Why did they come from all over to hear him teach? So the Pharisees were a sect of Judaism, possibly beginning with Ezra, and they were devoted to the exact obedience of the laws given to Moses. So flowing out of a desire to correctly follow the law, and here's the big part, and apply it to their lives, they became very legalistic. By the time Jesus began his earthly ministry, they imposed on the people their own traditions in the form of an oral Torah. So there were two Torahs. There was the written Torah, which is the books, the five books of, of Moses, and then there was an oral Torah. Um, it, it's sometimes called the Mishnah. And it contains various laws, statutes, and legal interpretations that were not recorded in the first five books of the Bible. They were produced through biblical understanding of ancient sages and recorded in a collection of writings or commentaries on the Mosaic Law, making up part of what's called the Talmud. So it was just part of, part of this larger st- um, uh, collection of knowledge so there were two talmuds there was the jerusalem talmud and the babylonian talmud and they were the centerpiece of jewish cultural life and they were foundational to anyone who was going to be a teacher or a rabbi so the pharisees and the scribes wanted to come there and make sure that he was teaching everything that he was supposed to correctly according to not only the five books of Moses, but also the Mishnah and the Talmud. So there's a, there's a really interesting part of this. It says the power was with him to heal. This is at the very end of verse 17. And this is a really interesting piece. It's interesting to me because does it, it suggests to me that maybe there's a time when Jesus doesn't have the power to heal. And I don't think that's the case, as I'll, I'll share. So when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, previously in, in Luke 4, 
he was rejected by the people there. In Matthew 13, 58, we read, And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Again, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It is not that Jesus doesn't have the power, but there was no belief for it to be realized. So from from Hebrews 11, we we can understand faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So as we we sang the song, they walked by faith. Therefore, I read this sentence, this portion, as there, it's not that there, um, I'm sorry, is that there was belief from some present for Jesus' power to be realized. There was faith for these mighty works to be demonstrated according to his goodwill. And as we move into the next portion of this passage, I'll ask the question, was this faith demonstrated? So in 18 it says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. The faith and perseverance of the men who brought the paralytic in to Jesus on a mat was both evident and visible. There were so many people blocking the way to Jesus that they had to take drastic measures. Some may have even considered their act inconsiderate to drop him in in the middle of Jesus' teaching. He was in the middle of teaching and they were disrupting him. Through the men's faith, Jesus declared the paralytic's sins forgiven. Now this is really interesting. And, and I wanted to spend a lot of time here, but this is not where the Lord was leading me this week. So is that why the men brought the paralyzed man to Jesus? For forgiveness of sins? Or was it for the healing from the paralysis? What do you guys think? The, the healing, right? Now it may seem uncompassionate for us that Jesus would initially forgive sins. And leave the man paralyzed. However, even if Jesus didn't heal the man physically, we know that this life is but a mist compared to eternity. And what is one life being paralyzed in comparison to eternity separated from God? But that's not the end of the story, is it? Jesus knew all of those who were present that day and he had another lesson to teach. So in verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, 
Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who forgives sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? So, they asked the question in their minds, Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they were right in saying this, but they had no idea who they were talking to or who they were thinking about. So the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43:25, says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember not your sins. And the Pharisees would have known this verse, and they would have also known the implications. If someone forgives sins, they're placing themselves equal equal to God. In Mark 2, 6 through 7, we get a better understanding of the of what was going on. It says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they weren't, it, it, it's kind of um, confusing a little bit when you read it because were, were, they, were they saying this out loud? No, they were, these were things that they were questioning in their hearts. They didn't want to say anything out loud, but this is what they were thinking. And we see that Jesus perceived their thoughts. So not only did he perceive their thoughts, but he went out of the way to make them known. He was exposing the error of their ways. So he was including them in what was happening. He cared for them, but there was something that was keeping them from seeing who he really was. Maybe it was their unbelief. So I ask you the question, what is visible? Forgiveness of sin or to rise and walk? That's why it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Because who, who can see it? Who can verify this? No one would know if it was true or not. And then here's, here's what Jesus says, verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed. And notice there's a, these long dashes in here. So he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he, you can almost see him turn to the paralyzed man. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I love this. But that you may know. So Jesus wanted the Pharisees to know his authority to forgive sins. But since this could not be seen, he made it abundantly evident by healing the paralytic. So this is a feat that even our our current medicine can't accomplish. And I love it. It says immediately he rose up. 
So I don't know if you guys have ever experienced anything even close to paralysis. So for me, the closest I've ever come is uh, playing soccer. I've been hit with a soccer ball right here, right in my solar plexus. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been hit there before, but it immediately knocks the wind out of you and you fall down and you're trying to gasp for air. You can't move. You can't breathe. And it's a very scary situation. Stuck in a, a crouched position. And I, I remember the first time it happened, it, it took a little while for me to recover. It took a few minutes for, for me to, to begin to breathe, but even beyond that, to just regain my composure, right? I wasn't, wasn't thinking correctly, so I had, to, um, I had to kind of recover from that. Now, this is in no way even close to permanent paralysis, but I'm going to talk to you guys about another way I was paralyzed in a moment. But back to the passage, the healing was immediate. So this is very similar to the healing we saw from Peter's mother-in-law and the leper who was cleansed, right? It was immediate. It says, And the man rose and took his bed. He glorified God along with everyone there. So amazement had seized them all. What a miracle. This was beyond comprehension for many of those there and still for us proving that it could only be from God who has authority over all creation. Now, the Pharisees may have had a hard time arguing against the forgiveness of sins, but how could they argue against this man who is paralyzed who is now walking in front of them? So even though the Pharisees and teachers thought in their hearts that Jesus was blaspheming, they didn't pursue it any further after witnessing the miracle. But I ask the question, did they remain spiritually paralyzed to Jesus' teaching? And that's where I'm going to go this morning. So we're going we're gonna to go into our applications and we're going to spend a lot of time here. The first application point is spiritually paralyzed. So there's two aspects of being paralyzed spiritually that I mentioned earlier, which we're going to discuss again. The first one is being unable to act properly. So you're not able to move your body the way that, the way that you want to or maybe the way that you should. And the second one is being unable to feel properly. So you can't feel with your senses what's going on. And yes, they are interconnected and they, they weave together. But for our study, we'll, we'll consider them somewhat separately. So when, when we become a deer in headlights spiritually, we're unable to act properly. And this is being representative of trapped in all the happenings and distractions of the world, being unable to react to oncoming traffic, impending collisions. Sometimes we can't see the direction that our own lives are headed. We seem unable to act in a way that is congruent with our natural instincts that come from the Lord, which is to love God and love others. Instead, we become more worried about ourselves. What's happening to us? What's happening to our stuff? When the worries of the world oppress our hearts, we become unable to feel properly. It can affect our minds to the degree that we obsess over the worries. So we don't just worry, we obsess over the worries and they crowd out the teachings we've received from the Holy Spirit. We become paralyzed in sensation to the conviction of sin. 
And this is a scary place to be. To not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I grew up relatively poor and a minority. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm, I'm Native American. And I grew up in an area up in Dade City, Pasco County, where there's a lot of migrant workers. So I came to be angry at the way I was being treated because I was confused with migrant workers. And I was also angry at the way that the Native Americans were treated when I started reading American history. So historically, they were treated poorly and in some ways still are treated poorly. So a lot of this affected who I was. I became entitled to things that were not mine. When I was young, grades five through seven, I found out that I could steal things, and I, I was pretty good at it. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway because it was a rush. It was a way for me to act on my entitlement, and I had some friends to do it with. So what started out as a convenience store, as a candy bar, turned into going into Walmart and stealing CDs, calculators, you know. We were dumb. One of my friends got caught at a time when I wasn't there, and it put things in perspective for me. The Lord helped me to realize that I could seriously put my future in jeopardy and that what I was doing was wrong. And this changed me. I stopped stealing and I stopped hanging out with that group of friends. But that part of me that knew stealing was wrong got paralyzed to some degree. I couldn't feel the pain of it. I couldn't feel properly. The initial healing was immediate But this was a process of healing. It took some time for me to regain the correct way to feel and to act in regard to stealing. And even though the stealing was was cured, I still had this sense of anger and entitlement. So we're, we're all spiritually paralyzed in some way. And when the Holy Spirit reveals this to us, we must make a choice. Do we confess our sins and repent and rely on God for healing? Or do we remain paralyzed? Which leads me to my next point, which is total dependence. The paralytic man went from a physical life of total dependence on his friends to a spiritual life of total dependence on Jesus. So before receiving the spiritual life found in Christ, we were worse than paralyzed. We were dead. So I'm going to give you guys a second. I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, if you guys want to turn there with me. I don't don't have it up on the screen for you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead 
in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here we go. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For great, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So being in Christ doesn't mean you're going to live perfectly. But it does mean that you're constantly opening your life to him as Lord and Savior to illuminate your sins, to confess and repent. There may be some of you today who are battling desires of the flesh or old habits. You may be partially paralyzed to the way you act or you may be paralyzed to the pain that sin causes you and to those around you. It may seem like there's too much in the way to be able to come to Jesus. Well, I ask you, as the paralyzed men had, I ask you to find some friends to help you. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And this can be as easy as staying in community with other believers. But ultimately, I'd ask you to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord for healing. And he will hear you. So for me, many of the men and women in this church have helped me to heal from the pain of anger and entitlement without even knowing it. You've helped me by following Jesus' example. Just recently, within the last couple of months, the Lord revealed to me how my sense of entitlement was affecting my walk with him. In the previous passage in Ephesians, I was reminded that Grace is not mine. I don't own it. Grace is only God's to forgive, like forgiveness and salvation. And this has increased my understanding of faith. We know that Abraham is the father of our faith, and Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Here is the question Is faith visible? We cannot express the faith that is found in Christ apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We put our faith in Jesus as the only one who is faithful. And we become expressions of his love and goodwill. And as believers in Christ, we belong to him and are servants to the faith he authored. And we must obey it in spirit and truth. 
as fully expressed in his life and teachings. So using the form of the question that Jesus posed to the Pharisees, I ask you, what is easier to say? I have faith in God or to live in a way that honors God? The men could have easily said that they had faith in Jesus, that he could heal their paralytic friend and then not taken him. But they did. To further clarify the visibility of faith, listen to what Jesus' half-brother James says. And we know that Jesus also appeared to James after his resurrection as recorded in 1 Corinthians 5.17. So this is James 2.14-17. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we see that true faith is visible, because that's what it does. Faith works, right? Faith works. Is our faith in Jesus a personal sentiment of belief? Or is it the adequate response to knowing the Most High God, the Alpha and Omega, the creator of the universe? Or is it both? So your faith may not be dead this morning, but if the Holy Spirit is revealing in you some form of spiritual paralysis, look to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. Cry out to him. He is faithful And he will do it. So we need friends to help us. I need each of you. We need community. The friends of the paralyzed man proved their faith by caring for him, knowing that he was fully dependent upon them, and they brought him to Jesus at all costs. Why? Because they knew that Jesus has the power to heal. And we know that he has the power to forgive sins. Which brings me to my third point today. Be a friend. So a good friend first realizes their own shortcomings by clinging to a personal relationship with God and by searching desperately for the source of life and healing found in Jesus. When they find it, they help those who they care for. So we're friends of Jesus by bringing him to all those who are lost, hurting, and paralyzed in their faith. And then we put our total dependence upon him, Christ alone, for the healing and forgiveness that happens in that person's life. We cannot bring healing and forgiveness. We bring Jesus. He can do that. So I'm going to get real practical this morning. For those who are lost in their faith, be a friend and help meet that person's needs, both physically and spiritually. Live out your faith while glorifying God in all circumstances and look for a moment to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who are hurting in their faith, be a friend by offering support, both physically and spiritually, 
encourage and lift up the other members of the body. This could include a time of prayer, fellowship, discipleship, or Christian counseling to help the healing process. Jerry helps to facilitate a great program called Overcomers. And he'd love to talk to you if, um, if you're interested. So for those who are paralyzed in their faith, be a friend by living to the standard that Jesus gave us and obey his commandments. As iron sharpens iron, one man will, or woman will sharpen another. The word of God is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete, not lacking in anything. We must be hearers of the word, speakers of the word, thinkers of the word, doers of the word. If we lack in any one area, all part of us is going to be affected. Just like the body of Christ, if one member is paralyzed, the entire body will not function properly. So I ask you to stand firm in the faith. Guard the truth. It took a plurality of men who were friends of the paralytic to take him up on the roof and lower him down. These friends worked together for the healing of one man. And they demonstrated their faith to the only person who had the power to heal him both his physical body and his spiritual body. So let's work together to honor God and demonstrate our faith. So as the, as the worship team comes up, I'm going to read this passage to you guys in closing. This is John 15, 12 through 17. It says, this is Jesus speaking. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.